Marty here from Deadhead Cannabis Show. I'm here with my partner, Larry Mishkin. Hey, Jim. Larry Mishkin from the Hoban Law Group. Always a pleasure to be here. And once again, have the privilege today of doing this show from the barn in lovely Longmont, Colorado. And it's quite an experience and happy to be here with Jim. We got a lot of good things to talk about today. Yeah. Since Larry's still in town, we thought we'd record another show here from the barn. We broached on some interesting topics last week that we want to continue on. They being uh, Jerry Garcia's upcoming birthday on August 1st, the end of this week. Correct. And then we have Jerry's death on August 9th and the new official deadhead holiday, which is the days between the, 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 the days between August 1st and August 9th. And if you're listening to the deadhead station on Sirius XM, uh, you'll hear all sorts of great stuff. They play a lot of Jerry concerts during this week and a lot of focus on Jerry. And then rightfully so, you know, I think he would have been 77 Wow. Were he still alive? He was born, I want to say, in 1942. 43, I think. Is it 43? Okay, so then 76. But certainly getting up there in age, not quite Phil Lesh uh, stage yet. We'll be 80 in March. But yeah, and you know, it, it always makes you stop and think what life would have been like if Jerry had been around for, for the last 20 years and what would have happened with the band and what would have happened with him and all sorts of stuff like that. But it's really kind of neat, I guess, you know, almost karmic for Jerry that, you know, his beginning and his end almost completely coincided. So it's, it's just a good time to, to stop and think about it. We talked last time about the Grateful Dead Night at the movies as a way to kind of go out and, and remember Jerry a little bit. And, you know, especially for those of us that have seen Dead & Company this summer and have truly enjoyed Dead & Company and the wonderful job that John Mayer has done, there's still nothing like having an opportunity to be sitting around with a group of like-minded people in a theater-type setting and being able to look up on the screen and there's Jerry with that, you know, smiling face of his, uh, pushing his glasses up so they don't fall off his nose and then cranking into a hot whatever it is at the moment and just blowing everybody's doors off. And having a lit cigarette in the ashtray on top of his amp. That was always fun. You know, that everybody's, what are they doing back there in between? So Jerry smoking a cigarette. Right. Just got to get right. him time and, and, he'll be, and he'll be back. So a couple little pieces of trivia related to uh, August 1st and Jerry's birthday. For you folks on your phones, look up and see if August 1st, 1943 was a Saturday. No. And then tell me which song talks about Saturday's child, All Grown. Wow. Althea. Yeah. So, um, with a, with a Grace, great. yeah. Yeah, I think Hunter put that in there as a hint that the song was about Jerry. Very interesting. That's a very interesting twist on that. Okay. So I think I like Jerry that. was born on a Saturday. Very the other thing is about Days Between. It's a very obscure Grateful Dead song. Uh, it would have been on the last album had Jerry not passed away. But um, it's still played quite a bit. Uh, Phil recently played it when I saw him here in May. And then we got it at Dead & Co. here at uh, yep. second, one of the se second to last songs. Very interesting song. Very uh, Hunter-esque. Four verses. Four, so many lines to a verse. True uh, English sonic styles sonic style mm -hmm. and it goes through the four seasons of a man or a woman's life yes it does and, and you know it, it's really funny because everything changes with age and you know towards the end of their playing days when they were playing that song and those of us who were really hungry for you know the all the dead songs we had always heard it was almost like oh he's playing this song again why is he playing this slow song but where it really kind of hit me for the first time was at the fare thee well show when they sang it and that again was like the second to last song the last night right and they pulled it out and they sang it and it had a much more poignant sense to it and yeah. it, i've gone back now on youtube and watched jerry sing it a few times 
And as much as it's at it, it, a speed and a tempo that, that wasn't the speed and tempo that I necessarily preferred, I think it certainly was, like you say, Jerry telling the story of life, or Robert Hunter and Jerry doing it with the music, and things slow down, and you, you well, stop and you it appreciate It was fairly those typical days. for the dead to slip a ballad in towards the end of the second set. Yes. Uh, broke Down Palace or Warfred, Stella Blue, kind of just to bring the crowd down before that one last rave up to finish the set and then the encore. Yep. So it was kind of a way to literally bring everybody down from where the, the high peaks they were on and calm everybody down. But back to Days Between, yeah, some of my favorite lyrics there about, well, it starts out with death. Yes. You know, old man's passing away. Then he goes back to childhood and the phantom ships on phantom sails. And then, how's it go? Uh, the part I like is about manhood. We grew into our shoes. We told them where to go. We gave all we had to give. How much, we'll never know. Yeah, that's right. So back to business, though. I mean, a little bit of business on this podcast. Yes, sir. Uh, we started talking about that very controversial subject last time, banking, and how there's forces of miss who don't want to give banking to the cannabis industry. Well, Colorado has consistently done about a billion five a year in top line sales. Other states more, other states less. But the point is, there's various times in almost every marijuana business when you have to get by without a checking account. And as we like to say, we don't have banking. We're lucky to have a checking account. All we're asking for is a checking account, a place we can put our money. And so I've dealt with that for many years. For one thing, you're always gonna have cash on the front end. The customer are generally gonna pay in cash. Now, some dispensaries may take credit cards. If they do, a MasterCard and Visa may not know they're a marijuana business. MasterCard and Visa are not on board, so we don't have merchant services. For some reason, debit cards are okay. Not quite sure why, but debit cards, now a lot of our clients at Bridge West take debit cards which seems to be just fine. And again, I'm not an expert in banking, so I don't know why. But it is very dangerous and very inconvenient not to be able to pay your bills with a check. People think they're being watched. People have to take different routes home at night. We're still handing a lot of cash. So even if we do get banking and checking accounts for cannabis businesses, which in Colorado, we're lucky enough to have about five financial institutions openly banking the industry and they have their own methods of doing that. The federal guidelines for banking is something called FinCIN, Financial Crimes Network. Enforcement Network, I think. Enforcement Network, there you go. And there are actually <laughs> rules in the FinCIN guidelines on how to bank a marijuana business. Right, you have your suspicious activity reports. That have we have our own done. SAR, we have an yep. SARM for right. marijuana. Right, And so, yeah, so, and there's a, but the thing is, if a bank wants to bank a marijuana business, and give them a checking account, then they have to build a very robust internal compliance department. And a bank is not going to do that for one or two marijuana accounts. Now, other banks have specialized in marijuana. I don't mind mentioning names. Safe Harbor Credit Union formed a subsidiary called Safe Harbor Private Banking. And they are banking about half our industry. Their uh, deposits in Colorado are over a billion a year. But the way they do that is they say, hey, do not come to my bank with twenty or $30,000 in 20s that smell like marijuana. Instead, a armored car takes the money from the dispensary directly to the Federal Reserve in Denver, and the Federal Reserve credits the checking accounts back electronically. Wow. And that's how 
this bank was able to do this. And they are actually now spreading this concept and these standard operating procedures to credit unions and state chartered banks around the country. And that's how we do it in Colorado. But if you are in a place where you have to pay your bills in cash, some of the stories I can relate of people standing at the utility company for hours, you know how you can pay, you can put the money in the slot and you're the utility company standing there for hours pumping 20s to pay their $50,000 a month utility bill. Other people told me it takes took two people two days to figure out payroll and put the right amount of cash in each envelope, including things less than a dollar. So they had to have change around too. Right. Right. So two people, two days to make payroll for 30 people. The only way you can pay your bill is with a face-to-face meeting. Hardly something the technology savvy millennials would be happy about of spending more than two or three seconds on a transaction True. in their world. And then the way the IRS handles it is in Denver, you can take your cash to the IRS. Income taxes is one thing, but income taxes are really only once a year or four times a year if you're making your estimated payments. But payroll is every week or every few days. You know, with a large payroll, the IRS wants your taxes remitted to them within three banking days. Right. So how do you do that when you've just paid your payroll by handing all your employees envelopes with cash right down to the penny? Well, the answer is the IRS will accept cash. A very good attorney, Rachel Gillette, a few years ago, won an argument with the IRS and said that if you pay your payroll taxes in cash and you make a fair effort to pay them timely, we won't penalize you. The IRS had started out by saying, if you pay us in cash, cash, 20s, I always just say 20s, because mm-hmm. that's what you see a lot of in the marijuana business. If you pay us in 20s, we're going to give you a 10% penalty for not paying us with a check. And Mr. Gillette said, hey, that's not fair. We don't have a check to give you, but we can pay you cash. And it's, it does say legal tender on this $20 bill. Yes, it does. And uh, her argument prevailed. So she's now... <clears throat> I like Rachel. Uh, oh, she's great. Yep. And if now... Um, I hope she doesn't mind us using her name. I'm sure not in this instance. <laughs> I would hope not. But anyway, if you call the IRS then, you say, hey, I've got to, I'm bringing out twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 of payroll taxes, and let them know ahead of time you can make an appointment. They have special rooms with cash counters where you can bring your cash, pay it. And if, if they can't see you within that three-day window, uh, and it's their fault, not ours, they will waive the penalty in that case as well. So that's some of the little nuances on how you can survive without a checking account. I believe Nevada is largely unbanked. I believe California is largely unbanked. Illinois, our largest bank uh, that had been doing the uh, industry uh, business about a year ago, all of a sudden, very abruptly, one day sent out letters to all of their accounts, all their cannabis accounts saying, we're no longer going to maintain our cannabis accounts and we're going to close the door. And I think that with the last time, Jim, we were talking about the Senate hearing and about the SAFE Act and all of that. And, and, and the real issue, obviously, with banking from the banker's perspective is not only do they have a, a big burden to bear, but they face potential individual personal liability, both criminal and civil. If you're a banker and you don't do your due diligence and you take in money that's dirty and it goes through your bank and comes out on the other side laundered, you as a banker face personal responsibility for this. And uh, there's few industries that are going to have sufficient cash flow for a bank to make it worth their while uh, to engage in that kind of risk or not to do it at least without the level of due diligence that we see now, which makes it almost you know, economically unfeasible. Exactly. If you're Chase, if you're Bank of America and your profits are 20 feet off the ground anyway, 
and you're doing a lot of banking for the federal government. You're probably not going to want to have much to do with the marijuana industry True. until we get a change at the federal level. So yes, the bill before Congress is called the SAFE Act, and it is designed to be able to give banks more comfort in opening their doors to the cannabis industry, which, in my opinion, and we'll see if I'm right in a few years, I think smokable get, uh, THC-based marijuana is going to be a $100 billion industry. It probably already is if you count the black market. Correct. Then you bring in hemp. There's a lot of banks that are still on the fence on hemp. Right. Even though it just came off the Controlled Substances Act a few months ago, yep. uh, they're still not ready to jump in even on hemp. I believe we have over 300 cannabis license holder clients. I don't think there's one of those that have not received a letter that you're talking about yep. saying your account is closed. You got to scramble like crazy. So anyway, those are some of the nuances of getting paid in cash. Um, our company is very fortunate to have a good banking relationship because we from time to time get paid in cash. Sure. And uh, we, we bring it to our bank and we'll go unnamed right now. And they're happy to accept our cash. If you receive $10,001 in a single transaction, you have to fill out a form 8300. Yep. No big deal. What is kind of the big deal of the Form 8300 is not only do you have to put down who paid you, but also who delivered it. So that, and, and this came directly from an IRS agent that I was talking to one time about Forms 8300. And she was given, she was actually said, this is an educational visit. Nothing scarier than an educational visit from the IRS. But she was a very nice revenue agent. And she said, um, so yeah, here you put down who pays you, and here you put down the delivery. And I said, you know, a lot of times these deliveries are made by young people with tattoos, and they're not going to be so willing to give their name, address, and social security number. And she said, that's okay. Just write down would not provide, and you've covered your bases. So that's how you fill out a Form 8300. Okay. That's a good thing to know, too. So, you know, lots of interesting stuff with this. We're all sitting around waiting to see how the feds will eventually handle this banking issue and whether uh, common sense will find its way into this industry. You know, the, 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 I guess, you know, for you and I, Jim, the, the flip-flop on it is, right, on the one hand, um, as long as Rule you know, 280E is on the books, nobody knows how to do their taxes when it comes off the books. You know, when the banking rules clean up, it'll be wonderful for the industry. Uh, and I guess it will be nice that we don't have to go and uh, save people's butts so much anymore. But, uh, yeah, you know, be careful what you wish for, my dad always says. So right. We have to think about that, too. Yeah, 280 is a whole different animal that refers to the non-deductibility of expenses. And we could do a show just on 280E, so we'll skip that today. Yeah, I and agree. We'll close up with a little more music. Um, you were going to talk about the uh, exhibit you saw at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City? I have to tell you, Jim, all summer long, you and I have been sitting here talking about rock and roll. And what's really funny about it is, is that the bands that we're talking about, you know, like the Grateful Dead and Dead and Company, they've been around forever. Fish has been around forever, but maybe not quite at the same level. Widespread Panic, uh, Tedeschi Trucks, and, and of course, Derek Trucks is the nephew of Butch Trucks, who was the drummer for years and years with the Allman Brothers. The Met in New York put together an exhibit on rock and roll instruments, and it's called something like Live Noise or Live Music, and it's just absolutely incredible. And anybody who's going to be in New York and have an opportunity to get to the Met, I don't think I can recommend it strongly enough. Normally, when I'm in New York and my wife wants to go to the Met, I make up a good excuse not to go. Uh, but for this, I went, and the guitars that they have, they had Jerry's Wolf guitar. They had Jerry's 
uh, uh, Tiger guitar. Uh, they had uh, guitars from the Beatles. They had guitars that Eric Clapton recorded his albums on. They had Dwayne Allman's guitars. They had the guitar that Jimi Hendrix set on fire at the Monterey Pop Festival, the remaining pieces of that guitar. And, and, and of the entire exhibit, my favorite one was a blank case with a little note that said, this item is currently on tour with the Rolling Stones. And when you read the card, it was Keith Richards' guitar. And when you think about that, that somebody like the Rolling Stones have been around long enough in their career that they've elevated to the status of having their instrument placed in a museum, and yet here they are actually out on tour still using, you can't have my instrument yet, I need it. But they had drums and they had basses and they had synthesizers and Moog equipment and they had some of the most fascinating videos I've ever seen. Jimmy, I would go just for this video of Jimmy Page sitting there explaining to a group of people how he created the notes and the, and the instruments that he, the noises on his instruments. And he explained the, the idea behind the double neck guitar for Stairway to Heaven and how it was the only way he could hit those sounds. And, you know, songs that we've all heard all of our lives. Here are the guys behind the scenes talking about how they were created and how they were how they were developed. But my, my personal favorite story out of all of this, and you and I were discussing this earlier, is that earlier this summer when Denning Co. was playing at City Field, the, the New York Mets home ballpark uh, in New York, um, uh, at the suggestion of somebody we're not exactly sure, although rumor has it, it was Jay Blakesburg, uh, who's the Grateful Dead's photographer. But word was put out that John Mayer should play Wolf that night, since it was right there at the exhibit. Apparently Steve Parrish, who was Jerry's roadie and probably one of the few people they would trust Wolf with, uh, went over, arranged for the guitar to be delivered to City Field. John Mayer went out and played uh, the night on Wolf guitar. I'm wearing my Wolf hat. And, uh, you know, for those of us who love Jerry, that's a that's a magical instrument and a magical moment. But just to be standing, you know, a foot away from it behind plexiglass was pretty darn cool. So if you haven't gotten there, you should really make an effort to get there while you still can. It's that good. And I've listened to a little bit of that City Field show, and the Wolf guitar sounded great. <clears throat> Always does. It always does. It's funny. I came across um, my old UMass newspaper a few weeks ago, the edition when the Grateful Dead played our uh, football stadium, May 12th, 1979. There's a great picture of Jerry, and he's playing his wolf guitar. Sure. That, that was his Se guitar in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. Playing, yeah. Wonderful guitar. So at any rate, for those of you who are trying to get your spouses to go with you to museums in New York, this is a great one to go to. It was a great exhibit. and. We bought the book at the end because why not? We always do. Right. Highly recommend it. And I wasn't at the City Fields show, but I've heard I've heard uh, video and seen clips. And the cameraman, when John Mayer came on stage with that, zoomed in on that wolf that's on your hat. Yeah. And I guess the crowd went crazy when sure. they realized that, that Mayer actually had Jerry's wolf guitar and he was about to play it. Yep. Yep. So. And, you know, did a great job. So... Well, another great show, Jim. This yeah, is a lot you. of fun. It's great to get to come out here to the barn and see you and your wife and family and everybody. All having a good time. Great to have you in town. Well, thank you. And, I'll be back uh, for sure. Oh, terrific. So uh, with that, I think we'll say over and out. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. Have a good week. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 
Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humiston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.